Thanks for popping on your headphones and joining us for an episode of Ballsy History, a podcast about big personalities and little-known stories. Settle in for a tour of the outrageous acts, incredible stories, and outsized characters that shape history. We're your hosts, Elizabeth, Elise, Elliot, and Maureen. We're glad you're tuning in. Today on our show, we'll learn about a time when poor women drinking tea in Ireland was considered as terrible as if they were chugging down a bottle of whiskey. The important word to note here is poor. Only women of lower class were termed irresponsible if they boiled up a kettle to enjoy the hot beverage. And why is this? Tea was expensive if you were poor, and so was the sugar to put in it. On top of this, if you were drinking tea, that meant that you were taking a break from your labors, either work or home. And there was certainly, according to those who had money, no reason to do that. Nowadays, the Irish are some of the largest consumers of tea, drinking an average of four to six cups daily, more tea per capita than any other country in the world except for Turkey. Tea came to Ireland in the early 1800s and was immediately classified as a luxury product, having arrived from faraway India on a clipper ship. Right from the beginning, upper-class, wealthy people began holding tea parties, and once it became, pardon the pun, steeped into the culture, the other classes did as well. Some people say that tea is Ireland's other national drink, after stout. And with the average person downing 1,300 cups annually, it is an important part of the culture. Tea has a fascinating history, interwoven through countless cultures over many centuries, though medicinal use of tea goes back to before recorded history. It was practically unknown to Europeans until the 16th century, though the Chinese had been drinking it for thousands of years. The ancient port of Canton made most of its money by exporting tea and salt, beginning in at least the 9th century. During his 13th century trip, Marco Polo observed the Chinese Minister of Finance being punished for altering taxes on tea because it was so important to the Chinese economy. The Portuguese first encountered cha in East India and, as they traveled across Asia, saw people drinking it pretty much everywhere. The Portuguese set up a trading point in Macau, but unlike porcelain and silk, they did not bring tea back to Europe. The first tea in Europe was enjoyed in Amsterdam. The Dutch East India Company brought back green tea leaves from India. Over the first half of the 17th century, tea spread across Central Europe, becoming popular in France and then further afield. By 1657, England had had its first tea merchant, James Garway, who also dealt in coffee and tobacco. Since there was no official import business for tea in the British Isles, early fans were drinking smuggled cargo from the Netherlands or even further. Tea drinking as a social ritual became popular in Great Britain and Ireland by the wife of King Charles II in the 1660s. Catherine de Braganza was a Portuguese princess whose dowry included a lifetime supply of tea, which she brought to England. 
She was the focus of attention, and everything from her clothes to her furniture became the source of court talk. Her regular enjoyment of tea encouraged others to drink it, and ladies flocked to copy her and be a part of her circle. Once she had successfully introduced tea as a luxury beverage, the British East India Company bringing in a small shipment of a few pounds a year for the king. By 1666, His Majesty and his inner circle were consuming 23 pounds of green tea leaves annually. As tea grew more popular, the East India Company imported their first official consignment of 143 pounds of tea in 1668. It would be imported by the ton. Aristocratic tea was different from high tea, or workman's tea, served around 6 p.m. in working-class homes. High tea was practical and filling, a reward for a hard day of work, and part of the tradition of dinner, in which tea accompanied by cold meats and potato salad. Early purveyors of the drink advertised it for its medicinal purposes. In fact, it was believed that green tea made with mineral water could cure just about any illness. How about that? Green tea was replaced in popularity by black or bohi tea, which was probably a type of oolong towards the beginning of the 18th century. Bohi tea had pretty much been rejected by the Chinese for inferior taste, but Europeans loved it. Now that Europeans wanted the tea no one else did, there was as much available as they wished, and soon tea leaves were no longer restricted to the nobility, but were available from green grocers across Britain and Ireland. As more people began drinking tea, people started adding milk and sugar, and tea as we know it today was born. Tea was introduced to the British Isles by a woman, and it found social importance among groups of women as the tea table became their domain. Meeting for tea provided freedom from day-to-day life and provided a backdrop for discussion or just gossip. Reading tea leaves for fun became an intriguing pastime for Europeans. The work of Sigmund Freud led to interest in psychoanalysis during the Victorian era, and what began as a parlor game of discerning patterns and symbols and errant clumps of tea leaves soon became thought of as a new form of divination. Irish tea drinkers became very proficient at this, identifying and interpreting hundreds of shapes that wet leaves might produce. A few superstitions from reading tea leaves still exist today. For example, floating tea leaves and rising bubbles predict the arrival of strangers, and bubbles that rise to the top mean money is coming. And now back to Ireland. In Ireland, once the rich finished their first brew, servants would make tea for themselves from the used leaves, and then sell the twice-used leaves at the back door, a real tea hierarchy. By the mid-19th century, Irish breakfast tea became readily available to those of lower and higher socioeconomic classes, and it became so popular British authorities were concerned it was spiraling into such an addiction, the Irish would become lazy and reckless. For members of the ruling class who saw Irish society as backward, They thought tea would worsen the problem and increase revolutionary thinking. Tea consumption by women was of particular concern, as feminist thought began to grow in the 19th century right across the British Isles. Tea was assigned some of the blame. Indeed, they figured, if it could incite revolutionary thought in men, would it not ferment dangerous feminist notions in women? The consumption of this seemingly harmless beverage was compared to drinking alcohol, 
and the effects on productivity and health were suspected by some to be just as harmful. Indeed, these middle to upper class reformers were patronizingly trying to get peasant women to change their ways for their idea of the greater good of the country. The actual contents of the brew were not the problem. It was the time spent drinking tea that was considered poorly spent, and spending money on tea was a surefire way to waste precious income. Now that tea drinking was in the category of frivolous, if women spent time doing this, they were scorned as being less available to tend to their household duties. Even worse, there were fears tea might contain addictive, drug-like qualities. Yet, if a woman were upper or middle class, enjoying tea was associated with values of moderation, order, and respectability. Before the Great Hunger, tea was reserved for guests of honor, such as a doctor or a priest. Tea consumption persisted through the Great Famine of the mid-19th century, and anyone lucky enough to have any would drink tea to help fill their bellies and stave off hunger. Even after the famine, people were still tea-shaming. Pamphlets were posted on doors where the poor lived, warning against the addictive qualities of tea, and how slovenly it was to indulge in a cup instead of preparing dinner. During World War II, the British government limited the amount of tea Irish merchants could buy, cutting it by 75%. They wound up sourcing directly from India and also developed a preference for the darker leaves grown in Rwanda and Kenya. The Irish Tea Blend's base is a black Assam tea from India, known for its strong flavor and malty aroma. This is usually blended with another softer tea, usually sourced from Kenya to bring out different flavors. After World War II, the Irish started importing very strong tea from Kenya and adding lots of milk. In fact, a popular assumption about why so much milk was added is because poorer people had lower quality china, and by pouring cool milk into the cups first, they hoped it would prevent them from cracking. Today, tea is the country's most consumed beverage. In fact, the Irish are second in the world for tea consumption per capita. Only the Turkish drink more. Here's to thinking about history the next time you enjoy a cup. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Ballsy History. Tune in next week to hear a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.